Good morning, everyone. So good to see you all here. We'll go ahead and get started. And uh, what beautiful weather, amen? <laughs> um, reminds me of uh, the. I grew up in Michigan, and our pastor there, his name was Burt Cooper. He said he remembers when they would go out, they'd take a, on these cold winter mornings, um, they would take a pan of hot coals and put it under the car, under the oil pan, to try to heat up the oil to get the car to start so they could go to church. And uh, we have it so. So uh, we're so blessed. Nowadays we have vehicles that start up in cold weather, all-wheel drive, and and uh, start or front-wheel drive if you're driving a Honda like Carrie. Start with a key fob start with from a your key room. Fob. Yep. Yeah. So it's all warm when you get out. Anyways, but thank you all for coming. Let's all stand up for a word of prayer, shall we? Father God, we come to you this morning with thankful hearts, Lord Jesus. Thank you for. Um, the gift of your son Jesus and thank you for the love that he has loved us with and Lord we're here to celebrate that this morning and to celebrate you Lord Jesus to be in your presence to lift your name high Lord I pray God that as we're gathered that we'd be encouraged and drawn to you that we could see Jesus and see your glory Lord Father I pray that we would sing these songs from our hearts Lord and just minister to each other I pray for the brother who brings the word today that you would anoint him and and uh, God help us to receive what you have for us Lord and we just give you all the praise and the honor thank you for bringing everyone here safe be with those who are maybe still on their way and God we just bless your name in Jesus name Amen
Jesus, we come to you this morning, Lord, as your church, your bride, Lord, and God, we just acknowledge that, Lord, better is one day in your courts, Lord, truly, God, this world has nothing to offer that is better than being in your presence and seeing you, and Lord, I just come to you and confess, Lord, myself, Lord, I've gotten so caught up, Lord, I feel like in the things of the world, um, maybe not even wrong things, but Lord, just things that occupy my mind and take me away from knowing you and knowing the joy of being with you and all those things are passing away Lord Jesus yeah. and God I just uh, commit myself to you uh, in a new way this morning Lord and, and pray that you would have control in my life Lord and that Lord I would know the joy of serving you Lord and truly knowing uh, the love that you give us thank you for each one that's here this morning Lord we just praise your name well, this next song is one that um, I don't know if we ever sang it here or not. I Maybe we didn't. I was going to a while back and didn't or something, but um, it's a really simple song. Uh, it starts with, All who are thirsty, all who are weak, just come to the fountain. Dip your heart in the stream of life. You know, there are seasons in life when um, everything's going well and it's easy to get sidetracked, and, but when the hardships come and then it's like, you, you need something, and it's either Jesus or drugs. And uh, let's just come to, come to that fountain this morning.
be seated and uh, we'll sing Blessed Assurance and then if anyone uh, has a testimony or something the Lord's been doing in your life or a prayer request, I'd like to open it up after this song. Sometimes um, uh, something goes a certain way during the day and it's 
and I'm in a bad mood, and next thing you know, um, I feel convicted, like, man, you know what, and, and um, it happened just this past week, I can't even remember what it was from, probably because I started praising the Lord, as soon as you start praising the Lord, it's like a, it's just almost instantly, like, the Lord just comes in, and, and all of a sudden you realize how blessed you are, and how grateful um, you are, and just how good God is. Uh, it's all just in turning to Him and praising Him. Does anyone have anything to share? Like Jason said, this week things weren't going that great. So you guys just get comfortable because I got a long story. <laughs> things just weren't going that great this week. It was just, I don't know, one thing after another kind of led up to it. And I was just kind of ready for the week to be over. I was just done. I was just tired of the week. And Friday after Friday afternoon, I was driving home, or I was driving to Greeley with a load. And I was talking to Dan Hahn, it's a logger, as I work with up there, and we were talking about the fire. He lives up by, in Granby, and we were talking about the fire and stuff, where it went, what it all did, and we were talking about things and what houses we knew. It burned right through the job. I just cleaned up Wednesday morning, and we were talking about all these different houses we knew that had burned, ranches, guest ranches and stuff. And all of a sudden, I thought about a guy that I had met last year. His name was Jed Reed. And I knew that Jed had been working since he was a little boy on this house. And I think I've told many of you guys about it. I had shared a testimony about meeting him through hauling logs for him and just the blessing that he was as just sharing a testimony together. And we sat and talked for hours that night because we were just, I mean, he's just a brother in the Lord. And we just found a kindred spirit and a kindred desire for serving the Lord together. And we just sat there and talked for hours. And... I all of a sudden thought about his house. They had worked 30 years on this custom log home. And I all of a sudden thought about that house. And I asked Dan, I said, did that burn? He said, I think so, but I don't know for sure. I said, well, i got to call Jed. And I got off the phone with Dan, and I called my friend Jed, and I just, he picked up the phone. And I was surprised. I didn't know if he'd even answer. I didn't know how things were. I knew the fire had went through there. And, and he said, everything's good. I said, well... I said, I'm sure things are worse for you than they are for me. So I said, please tell me what happened, you know. And he just started crying. And it's sweet when you can call somebody and know that their life is upside down. And he's sitting there singing, it is well with my soul. It is well. They lost, I'll try to make a long story short of what he shared, but his testimony was so sweet. I was so encouraged listening to him. Their house, they still have it. Everything burned around them. Their whole business, everything they had. They had a huge, they build log homes for a living. And they had like a $3 million contract. They had all the logs and everything purchased. They don't believe in insurance. They don't believe in, in operating in that way. They believe that God will take care of them. And all their log yard, everything, the logs I'd hauled into them, they're very expensive, hard to replace huge house logs all milled a lot of them ready to go to this project this guy has already paid them for this whole thing it's all burned <laughs> you sit there he, he was like you know in the bible when you owed somebody a lot of money you could go in and servitude yourself to them to pay for your debt he said I don't know what I'm going to have to do he said I don't think they'd probably accept that even if I tried but he said I don't know what I'm going to do 
He said, I have to find some way of paying this money back. He said, yes, I'm so thankful we have a home to go to. He said, my brother's house just down the road, it burned to the ground. We've seen it on the news. We were watching the news and Matthew Reed was on there and he was, I mean, they showed pictures of his house. There is nothing left. They got out with the clothes on their back. It came in so fast. Yes, their big house, his dad had prepared this huge sprinkler system, irrigation for a field system. He had years ago thought maybe they'd have a forest fire and he'd stuck this huge thing up on top of the house that would water like three acres from the top of the house. And it saved their house. They were sucking water out of the river and just turned it on. The tractor, they left it running, the PTO just running and sucking water and just hosing. And that's what saved their big house. But their business, their shop, everything's gone. And yet he's sitting there and he was quoting, and I don't even know the author of the song, It Is Well With My Soul. Some of you probably do. I don't, my memory don't work that way. But yet he's sitting there and he said, oh, that song is precious. And he's sitting there saying, God is better today than he was yesterday. He said, I know more today that God loves me than I did yesterday. He said, and my prayer is for tomorrow that I see more and know more of God than I do now. Oh, that I could have that kind of testimony. I called Saretta and I was just like, wow, that really puts my life in perspective. How am I so quick to have a bad week over a few little things? I didn't lose hardly anything. God was still very, very good to me this week. Why am I having such a hard time? Where is my focus? What is my focus on? The things of this world? Is my joy with the things of this world or is my joy in heaven? This week I know myself, my joy was in the things of this world. And obviously that's why I was having a bad week. But it really turned my focus back towards God. And yeah, I'm hoping that I can have Jed come here sometime and share uh, even a testimony or anything. But he told me he's, his sister lives in Fort Collins. So he said, I'll hopefully see you soon because he said, I'm going to be down there probably living with my sister some. And he said, uh, so hopefully I'll, he said, I'm going to look you up and come and hang out for an evening or something. So hopefully we can all see him. But I just was so blessed by that testimony and I hope it's my testimony. Wow. sure most of you are pretty familiar with it. Um, we're going to sing the first verse and chorus together, and then me and Lori will start singing the second verse, and Carrie and Soretta will repeat the chorus. And it's, it's kind of a cool, um, cool combination. So When it goes right. When it goes right. <laughs> it can be a disaster when it doesn't. Got that right. So I'm going to have all the men sing with me and Lori. And all the ladies can sing with Carrie and Soretta. And, and uh, I think what you'll find happening is pretty cool. So um, we'll give it a shot.
I'm just going to add to I asked Jed how we could pray for him. I said, what, what can we pray for you for? And he said, pray for mercy. The guy that has paid him all that money would have mercy. And he said, or that God would provide a way. So it's just, yeah, think about that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and just want to remember all those who have suffered tremendous loss through all the fires, Lord, and lift up Jed in particular and his family, or this, uh, what's happened with the, the building, everything being burned, his business being burned. Father, you are the way maker, the miracle worker, Lord Jesus, and I pray that you would reach down and, and make a way for him and his family. And Lord, all the others, Lord Jesus, who are in hotels, who are living with family, who've lost everything, all their possessions, God. I pray that, Lord, you would um, not only provide for them, but that you, you would fill them with joy. And, Lord, that you would um, just draw them to you, God. And I pray, thank you, Lord, that you um, said in your word, you've never, David says, he's never seen the righteous forsaken or their descendants begging bread, Lord Jesus. And, God, we know that you, um, you can do it, Lord. You can provide for these people. And we just thank you for that. Lord Jesus, thank you for those of us who uh, we don't have nearly that to deal with, Lord, all that loss, and Lord, how quickly we are to complain when things don't go quite right. Lord, just forgive us and help us, God, to reach out and to help those, Lord, to reach out and not just to those who, who lost material possessions, but Lord, those who need to know you, Lord, to share the gospel and the hope of Jesus with them. Father, we thank you. Jesus. I have kind of two thoughts um, that I wanted to share. I was at a birth last night, which is part of the reason why I can't sing this morning. My voice is so croaky. But um, the dad told us a story, and it reminded me of it when Harry with that testimony um, that you shared, which was just amazing. But kind of, a, it's a really, I think, I mean, it's a sad story, but it's also um, just really sobering. Um, they, he said in like just north of Estes Park, I guess, um, there was an 82 and an 86-year-old couple that had built their dream home in the 70s, I believe. Um, and authorities tried to get them to leave, and they would not, they wouldn't budge. So their son, who lives in Fort Collins, broke through the barricade and went to the home and tried to force them to leave. And they wouldn't, they said, this was our dream, this is what we got. And they ended up, I mean, they didn't make it. They passed away um, through the fires. And I just thought, like, the difference between that and this um, Jed, like, just uh, where your earthly, I mean, their earthly treasures meant more to them than relationships with their children. They had several, I mean, more than one, one kid. Um, and they talked to them on the phone before, before they, yeah, they told them bye. Um, but just the, the contrast of that, the horror, and just really how so sad that is. But um, the other thing is um, just a praise report. Last night we had, um, we had a, a pretty significant emergency with the birth. Um, we had EMS respond. Um, the baby wasn't born yet, but heart rate just dropped way, way too low. Um, so EMS responded, but we and the couple um, were praying 
and um, just to see God work, I mean the heart rate resolved beautifully and a beautiful baby boy was born um, just like probably 16 minutes after after that happened and so yeah just giving God glory and praise for that it was it was amazing to um, just witness even his the the peace that he gave the couple um, through it all um, just to witness that and to see the difference in that and just recently we had something happened not that not that bad but something happened with a couple that we knew were not um, believers and um, just to see the con the difference between the two and how they responded to the situation is um, it just makes me glorify God and and what he does in our hearts um, just giving us rest and where we can trust him <clears throat> Lord, wow, it's amazing the response. Um, some people see hardship and they're like, there can't be a God. How could God allow this? And other people, something hard happens and they're like, there, there has to be a God. There has to be more than this. Isn't that amazing? And, uh,
Amen. Let's all stand up.
Children can come forward. You're going to get your toes stepped on this morning. You might get your toes stepped on this morning. I mean, you got the opposite going on here. Stocking feet and Lukey's. Woo, big boots. Oh, more stocking feet. More boots. What? You know, Kevin? Brad, you coming up? If I, if I cry, would you come up? Oh, no, Darius. Sorry, I looked at the wrong one. Kevin's there. Darius is there. Darius, you coming up? Are you scared? Hmm. You know, I wish your mom had just a smidgen of that bashfulness. self-consciousness I should say alright so if we get one song do you guys know a song which song do you know no do you know a song Darius okay Brad do you know a song we'd sing children's song you know God's not dead you know that one where do you feel them hands feet heart is that all the right spots? Okay. You can sing from there. I'll listen. Okay. What key is it? G. God's not dead. No, he is alive. God's not dead. No, he is alive. God's not dead. No, he is alive. Do anything, Brad? Nothing. Hmm. Okay. Guilty. Alright. So we involve you even if you're sitting way down there. Okay. What's another one? What's your favorite song right now? You had two of them the other night. Which one? Which one? Jingle Bells. We'll pass on Jingle Bell. It's snowing, but I do not like Christmas music. Alright. Oh, glad I missed. Uh. Jesus Loves Me? Does that one work? How about Who's the King of the Jungle, too? Huh? Well, we get, we'll get to them all. Alright. Jesus loves me. 
Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, Shy? I mean. Alright, who's the king of the jungle? Ha ha ha. Now that'll get you up again. Cast your burdens? Okay, we'll do that one after. Okay, who's. Who's the king Who's the king of the jungle? Who's the king of the sea? Who's the king of the universe? And who's the king of me? I I got two girls. We'll give you a break today. Alright. Alright. But cast your burdens. See, I get I get to watch somebody else do this one.
That's pretty low. Ah. See, we we just have fun up here. If you hadn't noticed, we aren't shy at all. Hmm. You ready to come up yet? Man, how fun does it have to look? Alright, wrapped up, tied up yet? Okay. You know this one? Dry as you know, wrapped up, tied up? Where you been? Alright, it's not that hard. Triple, triple, super, super fast drummer. On the last round. Okay. Because Lukey wants to look like a... Alright. We gotta go super, super, ultra, ultra slow for Sherry. And then we go super, ultra, upper, quadruple fast for Lukey. Okay, let's start with normal. Alright. What key do we do this in? G again? Wrapped up, tied up, tangled up in Sit here. I think Sarah has a story to read you.
He resigned his church. He resigned his church and gave up his life of ease. The Indian's pitiful cries still rang in his heart, and he must obey. Going back into the wilderness, David went from place to place to preach to his poor Indians. His travels covered more than 3,000 miles through forests, over dangerous mountains, through fierce rains and freezing cold. Sometimes he was forced to sleep on a bed of snow. Entire nights were spent in prayer in the black woods as wolves howled through the bitterly cold nights. David's first congregation was four women and a few children. As time went on, David realized that it was only through the mighty power of God's Spirit that hardened hearts could be changed. He prayed harder than ever. It is said that whole nights were given to pleading earnest prayer alone in the dark woods with his clothes drenched in sweat. Suddenly, the Spirit was poured upon the whole region of the Susquehanna. Indians would grasp the bridle of his horse and beg him to tell, him, tell them the way of salvation. They fell at his feet in agony of soul. They gave up the whiskey with gladness now that the love for Christ filled their hearts. However, the harsh winters, poor clothing and poor bedding had its way and David became very ill with tuberculosis. Revival had come in a wonderful way, but Brainerd died at the young age of 27. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. John 14, 2. Okay, you can go back to your seats. Here this morning on a cold, snowy day, I was inclined to uh, stay at home this morning and have a nice cup of coffee on the couch, but then uh, Carrie called me a wimp, so here I am. <laughs> but I'm glad I came. I've been blessed by uh, the uh, singing, the testimony, and the worship here this morning it's it's been a blessing nice warm fellowship on a cold day so thank you all for coming i don't think i have a lot of uh, announcements or anything today other than our normal uh, meal after the service please do stay and enjoy the fellowship for that um we've Spent a lot of uh, time in prayer for various things already this morning. The one thing I, as I've mentioned the last number of weeks, and uh, I think we still continue to remember to pray for uh, the election, for our leaders, for our government, and uh, just lift them up, lift this country, our leaders. Up before the Lord, we're commanded to do that in Scripture and uh, pray that God's will would be done in our country, but most of all in our lives as, as Christians, that we can continue to live godly lives for the Lord. I believe Phil has a sermon prepared for us, so we're going to turn the time over to him, but 
Before we do that, let's bow our heads for prayer again. Thank you, Father, for this day that you have blessed us with. I thank you for the warmth of fellowship and love of believers on this cold day outside. Thank you that thank you for your love and that it that it fills us, that it warms us and that it sustains us. I pray that you would continue to be with us here this morning, that our worship would be directed to you, and I thank you for what we've experienced so far, and I pray that it brings glory to you. I pray now that as your word is open to us, that we would be hearers of your word, and that we would not only be hearers of the word, but that we, we would go from here and be doers of your word as well. So I pray for Phil as he shares your word with us. I pray that you'd give him clarity of thought and mind and help us to hear from you through him this morning. Thank you and praise you for what you will do. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, you can turn your Bibles with me to John chapter 4. We're going through the Gospel of John, and I want to um, look at the amazing truth that the Holy Spirit, through the life of Jesus, brought to the people of Samaria. I don't know how you can relate to this woman today in your life. I pray that as we go through this story, every one of us would be the woman at the well. You can see yourself meeting Jesus at the well. In John chapter 4, beginning in verse 39, And from that city... Many of the Samaritans believed in him, Jesus, because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all the things that I have done. Now, let's stop right there for a moment and go back to verse 17, beginning in verse 16. He said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Very discreet woman. This was a stranger who she now was perceiving was a prophet. I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have well said. Wow. Have, has Jesus ever complimented your lie? Not quite a lie, only a half-truth that you were willing to admit. Jesus does that, by the way. And if you haven't experienced this Jesus, dear brother, sister, you need him. Our half-open hearts, Jesus takes and walks into a half-open heart. Our half-hearted acceptance or surrender, Jesus never condemns. 
And if a man or a woman has condemned you or your own thoughts condemn you, dear brother, sister, come to Jesus and experience this woman's salvation. Jesus took her half-truth and opened up the scriptures to her, revealed himself to her. Jesus said, you have well said. He didn't say, oh, you liar. I know who you are. Yeah, right. You've only had, you have no husband. Let me tell you something. I know a lot about you. No, no. You have well said, I have no husband. For you have had five. And the one you're living with now, he's not your husband. He walks into her half-hearted open door. And he begins to speak the truth about her life in a gracious way that she has a testimony to share with her village. A testimony of what Jesus said to her in such a caring way that he spoke into the very need of her heart, the deficit of her life. This was not a good testimony. This was something she was trying to hide from Jesus. It was nothing she was proud of. But her testimony that brought the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus to her village was this. He told me all that I ever did. That was the testimony that brought the faith of Jesus a living faith to her village. Look at this. Verse 40. So when the Samaritans came to him, Jesus, they were asking him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. And they were saying to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe. That's where it started. Because of what you said about what he said to you, we believed. But that is no longer. Now, we heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed what? What is Jesus for real to you? What was he to them? The Savior of the world. You see, dear brother, sister, this is what they needed. This is what she needed. Someone, a Savior, someone to come in and rescue her life from destruction. Someone to take the deficit of her life and resurrect it into a new life. To give her the truth about her life but in such a way that it didn't condemn her. It brought her to Jesus and rescued her from the woman she was in the village. And it made her, instead of being a deficit and a, someone who wants to hide from her village, it made her a testimony. It gave her a pulpit. It made her an evangelist. I don't know about you, 
But if I was going to a village to bring the gospel to that village, I don't think I would choose this woman. Would you? A woman who's had five husbands and is now living with someone who's not her husband. God! Jesus! What are you thinking? Oh, he's thinking, I am the Savior of the world. And I need someone whose life is so wrecked. I need someone whose life is so despised and not esteemed at all by anyone in the village to rescue so that it leads others to also have hope for their lives. That's what Jesus was thinking. I think he heard the voice of his father leading him to a woman who needed rescued so desperately so that he would have a testimony of salvation to a village who was lost and needed a savior. And when she spoke, came back to the village and shared her testimony, they believed. It brought the hope and faith of the gospel of Jesus Christ that if he can save you, surely he can save me too. You see, our pride, our facade that we want to put on to our family, to the world, our hidden secrets of sin that we like to hide, the Lord Jesus wants to use to bring the hope of salvation to others as a testimony of His goodness, of His mercy, of His rescuing power, of His love for the, all who are in sin and are enslaved to sin, whose lives are wrecked. He wants to bring the good news of the love of God. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth on Him should not perish but have eternal life. And that's what they found in Jesus. And many more believed because of his word. Verse 43. And after two days he went forth from there into Galilee. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things that he did in Jerusalem and at the feast. For they themselves also went to the feast. Before I continue there. I want to just give you a few more encouragements on how important a testimony is to God and to you, to me, to God's people, to His work on the earth. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 12. In Revelation chapter 12, we find that there is war in heaven. In verse 7, and there was war in heaven, Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon, Satan. And the dragon and his angels waged the war. And they were not strong enough. And there was no place, no longer a place found for them in heaven. So where did they go? And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth. 
and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down who accuses them before our God day and night. And our brethren, they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life even to death. Dear brother, sister, this is the great salvation of Jesus to mankind. The war was waged in heaven. Satan and his angels were thrown down to the earth to wage a war here on the earth against the saints. What is the war they wage? Accusation. Accusing the people of God day and night before God. And how do the accused overcome? With the blood of Jesus Christ, which does what? forgiveness of their sins. He takes our wretched, miserable, deficit failures. He takes my failures, not my victories, my failures. And He forgives. That's step one. To receive the forgiveness of Jesus. And that's what this woman experienced. Truth and forgiveness. Truth and grace. John chapter 1 says, was Jesus was full of it, truth and grace. And when he came to this woman, that's what she experienced, forgiveness of her sins. And she was able to go back to her village and testify this truth. You guys all know who I am. You know my failed marriages, they live here. All my ex-husbands live here. They're saying all this bad stuff about me and it's probably all true or much of it. There's a lot of accusation over my life. But I found the man who knew everything I did. Not just a little bit of what I did. Not just the story of one husband. Not just the story of three husbands. He told me everything I ever did. And he forgave me. Absolute, complete forgiveness. And her testimony of that to her people brought them to believe that Jesus is the Savior of the whole world. Their personal Savior. And that He can do the same for them. That's the power of a testimony. It overcomes the accusation of the devil in my life and in your life, and in our village. Because Jesus comes not to accuse, but to forgive the accused. And there is no more accusation where there is forgiveness. There's only one thing that completely can wipe out every accusation in my life and in your life, whether it comes from the devil or your own mind or others. Forgiveness. Wipes away every accusation. 
There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Zero condemnation. And Jesus wiped it all away from this woman. Every accusation. Because her testimony was, He told me everything I did, guys. And He forgave me. He's the Savior of the world. And that testimony still saves you and me. But one ingredient is necessary. You cannot love your life. Notice, and they did not love their life even to death. The self-love must be laid down at Jesus' feet. All of my self-love, that self-preservation must be gone. The woman at the well found this man who, when he began to expose her life, she laid it all there. She laid it all there at his feet. And she goes back to her village, not to preserve her testimony, to share her testimony of forgiveness and of life, eternal life that Jesus offered to her. And that testimony, dear brother, sister, in every one of our lives, Satan still tries to do away with. That's the war he's waging on the earth against God's children. Accusations. And if you and I will do the natural thing when accusations come into our life, or we do the other natural thing. Really? Oh no, it's you man. And no, no, it's him. It's because of my mom. It's my mother-in-law. It's my, it's my brother. It's my wife. It's my boys' fault. It's definitely Carrie's fault. Just look at his beard. I mean, all over. It's written all over the face. It's their fault. It's definitely the preacher's fault. That's for sure. We accuse back. That's how we distract the attention from the honest truth about me and my failures. But if you and I will do what this woman did, salvation will come to my life, to your life, and to your home, and to your village. They were saved. They overcame the accuser. They overcame the accuser by the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony. He told me everything I ever did, and He loved me. He forgave me. They spoke that testimony honestly to all who knew them. And that testimony is still that which overcomes and saves us, every one of us. The Lord Jesus wants to do what He did for you and what He did for her, for every one of us. The same, the same principle of life He wants to work out in you and me, if we're just willing to come to Jesus and expose ourselves 
as she did, honestly. And then go tell others that testimony. The second principle, so the first principle I want to look at, first thing I see in this story, is how important to Jesus, how important to you and I, is our testimony. The testimony of what Jesus has said and done for us personally. And our, and our witness of His work in our life, of His forgiving power, of His grace, and of His truth to others, brings the salvation of Jesus Christ, the hope of salvation to them also. In Romans chapter 10, he tells us, this is salvation. Look at what he says in Romans chapter 10. Paul is speaking about the Jews, and this is their condition in verse 3. Verse 2, For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject, submit themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness for me, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in what? Someone say it. Salvation to others and to yourself. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. The woman at the well had no disappointment in Jesus. Do you? Do you have some disappointment in Jesus and what he does for you? Then perhaps... You're still in some reactionary mode of doing this. Crawling into your cave and hiding. Or, perhaps you're in the natural reactionary of, it was my father-in-law, it's my mother, it's my dad, it's my preacher, it's that guy, it's this guy. Casting the blame on others. Instead of doing what the woman did. This woman made no accusation of her five husbands, not even one, to Jesus. Oh, but Jesus, it's not my fault. What would your response have been to Jesus when Jesus said, I know you've been, you have five husbands, you had five. The one you're living with right now is not yours. Listen, Jesus, listen, I can tell you all about it. Starting number the first husband, he was a drunk and he beat me a lot. Second husband, blah, 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 blah. Third husband, even worse. Fourth husband, let me tell you about him. That would have been her natural response to Jesus. No, not even one. Not even one. Instead, when she met Jesus, Jesus said, I will give you living water that you'll never thirst again. 
Your life will have no lack. I can give you that living water. That's what she was coming to Jesus for. That's what he had offered her. It was a personal relationship with Jesus. And her husbands, they were her past. They weren't there with her. It was her and Jesus. And she, she took up that offer of that personal relationship with Jesus, of eternal life. And all her past was forgiven and wiped away from her. There was no more accusation. That war was not only waged in heaven, that war was won in that woman's heart that day. Satan was cast out and all of his demons out of her life. Now Jesus moves on. And there's another truth in this chapter I want to point out to you because they're all linked together. And they're linked together in this woman's life. Jesus goes up to Galilee and... In verse 44, he says, For Jesus himself said, he testified these words, that a prophet has no honor in his own country. In Luke chapter 14, verse 26. Turn your Bibles with me there, and notice how Jesus said these words. In Luke um, 14, not 24, 14, verse 26. Jesus is speaking here, um, he's speaking about discipleship, following him. And Jesus said in Luke chapter 14, verse 25, Now great multitudes were going along with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone wants to come to me, if anyone comes to me, and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brother and sisters. Yes, and even his own life. He cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry up his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him and say, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Be kind of like us. You know, we, Katie and I, the boys bought this house down here on the corner. And we began to remodel. We tore out a lot of stuff. Four big dumpster loads. There was all kinds of brush and dead trees on the outside. We tore all that out. On the inside, there were old cabinets and stuff from the 70s that they thought looked pretty back then. I don't know what their color tastes, where they got them. Yep. <laughs> Man's color. <laughs> All of that stuff that was esteemed back then, we did not esteem and tore out. We began to build a little addition. We've got the floor framed and a few walls. We tore off the old little porch and we put on a, a roof and 
Not all the deck boards are on. And now we're done. But if you walked into that house, I doubt even one of you would say, this house is finished. Because when you walk in the, take the first step up into the deck, you have to watch your step. Because there are boards that are missing. Then your foot will go right through, down to the ground. When you walk in and you open the door, well, here's a house, but where's the kitchen? There are no cabinets. There's no sink. And when you go into the bathroom, there's no toilet except the little Indian toilet, as they call them, a hole in the floor. That's not a derogatory term, by the way. If you go to India, they actually call it, if you say, I need to use the toilet, I need to go to use the restroom, they'll say, you want to use the American one or the Indian one? If you go to the house, they'll even apologize to you and say, they did to me, I'm sorry, I don't have an American toilet. Oh, it's okay, I'll use the Indian one. There's just a hole, and you just squat and aim. Hope you make it, there's a bucket of water there. And that's the Indian toilet. Well, that's all that's in that house. Americans don't think that's finished. That's what Jesus is talking about. If you come to be Jesus' disciple, and all you experience is the forgiveness of your sins, all your past is wiped away. But He has no future for you. There's no hope for your future, except to get rid of the guy she's living with now, and next year marry another one. And the next year, her same old life continues. Jesus deals with the past, but he has nothing for the future for her. No hope. Dear brother, sister, you cannot walk into the future salvation of Jesus Christ unless you're willing to be his disciple, to count the cost and finish the job. Jesus wants to finish it. And the only way you can finish it is by understanding and testifying, saying, yes, Lord, this is the way life is. As I walk into the future, I will no longer seek the honor of men. Ever again, I'm done with that. I've made such a mess of it. Jesus has washed it all away. He's forgiven all that. But now I must follow Jesus without any honor from anyone. In fact, it will be a life of dishonor. When you go to your hometown, when you go to your mother and your father, when you go to your siblings, you won't receive their honor. Jesus went home to his hometown. And as he was walking home, he tells his disciples, now just so you guys know, there was great revival here in Samaria. And they all loved me. But where we're going, not so much. My own family doesn't believe I'm the one the Savior of the world. My village I grew up in doesn't believe I am the Messiah. I'm the one. And here's what's going to happen. We're going to go home. Now listen, you guys. We're going to go home to my hometown. And they're going to chase us out of that village and try to kill me. Are you okay with that? If you're not, you better stay in Samaria Go back to Judea. Just go back to fishing. You cannot be my disciple. 
You simply can't because that's where I'm going. I'm going home where there's no honor. Complete dishonor. In Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. You may turn your Bibles there with me. Jesus, again, in this chapter, speaks of this truth. Beginning in verse 24, he says, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. It is enough for the disciple that he became as his teacher and a slave as his master. If they have called the head of the house, Beelzebub, the devil, how much more the members of his household? Therefore, do not fear them. For there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light. And that's exactly what this woman did. She was willing to tell what Jesus told her in private, in the light, to her whole village. And what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim upon the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul. But rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And by the way, listen guys, doesn't matter what your hometown people tell you or your family tells you. Here's the truth. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground without your father knowing it. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Therefore do not fear. You are of more value than many sparrows. Go home. And Jesus understood his value with his father. He knew he was his father's son. And he knew his brothers and his sisters and his mother. His mother believed. But all of his hometown would not believe him. He knew they wouldn't. But he lived in the security of his father's love. And this is how he ministered. And this is what took him home. To his hometown. He did go to his hometown. And his hometown began to say, Come on, Jesus. We heard you did many miracles. Some of us were even there in Jerusalem and Judea when you were there. Tell us about it. Do some miracle here with us. Prove to us you are who you said you are. I am the one. And I want to contrast and point out the difference to you between the woman whose life was wrecked. She never even once asked for a sign or a miracle from Jesus to believe. She didn't need one. She was the one. She was the miracle. She was her own life story. Was wretched and miserable and nothing to boast of. And Jesus did the miracle in her life. And she became the testimony of Jesus' grace, of His power, of His love, of His forgiveness. She was the miracle. She didn't need any other sign to believe. And that faith took her testimony to her hometown and many others believed because of that. And when Jesus does the miracle in you, 
and in me. We don't need any more signs and wonders to believe. We believe because of what He did for me. We live in that love and in that care. But going back to John and continuing through our story, I want to just encourage you, my dear brother, sister, when Jesus does this work in you, do not look for the honor of men. Later in John, Jesus said this amazing truth. In John, um, I'm going to find this verse. Uh, in John chapter 5, I think it is. Jesus said to the scribes and the Pharisees, He said, how can you believe? Yes, in John chapter 5, verse 44. How can you believe when you receive glory or praise from one another and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God? The woman who went back to her village was seeking no glory for herself. She was seeking the glory of Jesus Christ and what he had done for her. But the scribes and Pharisees, they wanted something from Jesus for themselves. They were seeking praise from one another. And if you want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, in your own personal life, in your home, in your town, we must walk with Jesus into the dishonor of men. We must walk into those situations where Jesus is going to be dishonored with him. And no one will understand. Not even your parents. There will there'll be those situations in your life where you'll hear the voice of Jesus Christ. And you only will hear it. No one will hear it. Except you. And I believe this even happens. Judd and I were talking about this this morning. and I, We were sharing about how the Lord Jesus does that even to young people who grow up in Christian homes where they are loved by their parents. I believe it's going to happen to our boys. And I say this trembling for real because it's going to crucify something in me and it's going to pain me, I know. But I believe that Jesus will do it to every disciple. Is He will bring the cross into every relationship, everyone. To one degree or another, He will bring you to a place where He separates Himself from everybody else. And only you will hear that voice and we'll have to obey Jesus or go with the crowd. All of a sudden, in your life, the crossroads comes. It's like you come up over a hill and there's a crossroads. And Jesus is standing on the one and everyone else in your life is on the other side going down that road. It's an act of personal obedience that separates you to Jesus over and above everyone else. And this is how Jesus becomes your Savior, your Lord, your God, and separates himself from every other person in your life. Without that cross, you cannot be his disciple. You see, our boys, as much as I love you boys, you are not my disciples. Jesus wants you to be his disciple. 
And us parents, we must understand this. And we must encourage each other as Christians that there is a voice and only one voice of the shepherd. In John 10, Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice and they follow my call. The voice is not an echo from many other voices. No. Only his voice in your heart saying, Come, follow me. And that cross is painful because no one else understands not even your closest relationship. And at that moment, we choose to be a disciple or to go with the crowd. To be a disciple in that area in my life or to go with the crowd. And Jesus separates himself from everyone else, from the crowd, every time. And if we don't understand this, dear brother, sister, we'll be moved away with the crowds. Our faith will be shaken. And the accuser's voice will become deafening and loud. And we'll lose the war in our own life. The war was waged in heaven. But now that war is fought in your nice personal heart every day. The voice of Jesus speaks into every situation, every choice you and I get to make. Will you be affected by what your hometown, your family, those whom you love say? Or will you hear the voice of Jesus and follow Him? That discipleship is tested every day. Jesus said so. If you want to be my disciple, you must take up your cross daily and follow me. Every day. And there will be many, as Jesus walked on and came home, you'll notice here, following the story, he comes in verse 46. He came therefore again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son was sick in Capernaum. Now, he had done his first miracle in this town. But they didn't believe when he heard that Jesus came out of Judah into Galilee, he went to him, Judea, into Galilee. He went to him and was requesting him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Jesus therefore said to him, I want you to get these words. Jesus, what are you saying? Isn't this totally inappropriate? Why would Jesus say this to this man? Jesus here comes a, a ruler. This, this guy's a respected man. He's a ruler in the synagogue. Alright? He's esteemed by the people. And he's, he's coming up to Jesus and he's saying, Jesus, hey, please, I want you to put yourself, you're coming to Jesus. You have a desperate need. Your very son is going to die. Something in your life is barely hanging on. It's nearing death. And you're coming to Jesus and you're pleading, please, Jesus, come with me. And Jesus looks at him and he doesn't get moved to tears and says, I'm so sorry, Michael. I'm so sorry that your, your daughter's going to die. Your son's going to die. Listen. I'm too young for that. No, I know. Let's pray. There's no pity party with Jesus. Do you understand this, Jesus? Do you? Do you know this man? He looks at him and he goes, Unless you see signs and wonders, you won't believe. 
What? What did he just say? My son's dying. Won't you come down and heal my son? Unless you see signs and wonders, you won't believe. Doesn't that seem extremely harsh? For Jesus to say something like that to a guy who's desperate and is begging Jesus? I mean, he comes to Jesus. He must surely have some kind of faith that Jesus could heal him or he wouldn't have even asked him to come. You see, Jesus was touching this man's heart. He, was, he comes to the very desperate need of our heart. And Jesus says, Will you trust me no matter what I do? That's what he's after. Faith. Not healing your son. Now that may be an outcome of the faith. But what Jesus wanted was faith. Not healing. This man was begging for an outward sign of healing. Come and meet my need, Jesus. And Jesus was after something better than that. He was after eternal life. This boy was going to die one day, one way or another. And if Jesus healed him, it was only going to be temporary, and someday he was going to die again. And Jesus wasn't going to keep healing him and resurrecting him into like a cat with nine lives. That wasn't what Jesus was after. He's not after giving you and I nine lives. No. He's after eternal life. Faith and trust no matter what happens in my life circumstantially. If my son dies, my only son that I've begged for seven and a half years, almost eight years, that Jesus would heal and he won't heal him. Instead, he dies. Will you still believe? Will you still trust him? If relationships fail and your business fails, something that's really near death and is incredibly precious to you, will you still trust him? Will you believe without a sign and a wonder? Or do you need that sign and wonder? See, that guy, he did end up believing because Jesus gave him a sign and a wonder. But it never tells us he became a disciple. We don't know what happened to him. I want to contrast this ruler's life and his experience with Jesus to the Samaritan woman at the well. I want you to look at the two lies and the two testimonies. The two end results. The woman whose life was absolutely devastated, decimated. Someone said the other day, that's, we take that word out of context, because decimated means ten times. Deci means ten. So maybe that's not the right word, but her life, her life was in pot, we'd say. Jesus rescues her, and she has a testimony of salvation that leads many others to believe in Jesus. Her five husbands didn't come back into her life. It doesn't say that she married the guy she was with. It gives us no physical cure for her life whatsoever. It was not the point. The point was her relationship with Jesus. And that testimony brought many others to that same place. This man's point was, my son needs to live. And the son lived. 
And he believed. So I don't want to put him in a badder light than what the scripture does. But Jesus said these words here in this place to this man for a reason. They're for you and me. Do you seek Jesus for the signs and the wonders? You know what Jesus said? There will only be one sign given. The sign of the prophet Jonah. What sign was that? You want an interesting Bible study? Look up that sign. I don't have time to give it to you. But it's there for you and I to see. Go back and read the story in the book of Jonah. This afternoon if you have time. Or this week. And go into the scriptures and ask Jesus. Jesus, what did you mean? The sign of Jonah is given to me. I'm a person who's looking for signs and wonders. I want something tangible to make me believe in you. There's one sign given to you. The sign of Jonah. I have two books that I want to recommend to you. And two little excerpts that I want to read to you here in closing. One is The Pilgrim's Progress. How many of you read this book? Yeah, brother! His hand is up. This bump. Yeah. Does anyone know? Yes, Brother Steve. Yep. Yep. Does anyone know when John Bunyan wrote this book? Where was he? Prison. Prison. You want to write a book? Huh? Any volunteers to write a book for Jesus? This book is the second most popular book in the world besides the Bible. But it was written when a man was in prison for his faith. I want to read to you. Just to, I'm, not, I'm just whetting your appetite because if you haven't read it lately, you might try. This is in the context of discipleship. And this is a mirror image of every one of our lives. An experience Jesus gives to everyone who wants to be his disciple. He talks, I'm going to interrupt here a bit, into the story. As I walked through the wilderness of this world, I lighted on a certain place, or was a den, and I laid me down to that, in that place to sleep. And as I slept, I dreamed the dream. I looked, and I saw a man open the book and read therein. And as he read, he wept and trembled as he read. Not being able to longer contain, he broke out with a lamentable cry, saying, What shall I do? In this plight, therefore, he went home and restrained himself as long as he could that his wife and children should not perceive his distress. But he could not be silent long because that his trouble increased. You know how it is when we come home and we're troubled about something, right? And you purpose, I'm not going to let on to my wife. Uh-uh. How was your day? Good. Real good. Yeah? And as you go along, the evening is you're just in a bad mood. And that mood kind of settles down over your home. Finally, your wife looks at you and says, All right, out with it. What's the matter? Something went wrong today. Well, the boys do. Dad, you seem irritable. What's the, why are you so harsh with me? 
Well, usually it's because I'm convicted about something. This man was in great distress. This was his distress. Oh, my dear wife, said he, you and the children of my bowels, I, you, your dear friend, am in myself undone by reason of a burden that lieth hard upon me. Moreover, I am for certain informed that our city will be burned with fire from heaven, in which fearful overthrow both myself and with thee, my wife, and you, my sweet babe, shall miserably come to ruin, except the which, yet I cannot see, some way of escape can be found. Well, when he found the escape, now moving on, he found the evangelist, and the evangelist pointed him to the wicked gate, the life gate, and so I saw in my dream that the man began to run. Now he had not run far from his own door, but his wife and children perceiving it began to cry after him to return. But the man put his fingers in his ears. That's what we do when we don't want to hear, right? Like Luke, he goes, he starts humming a tune and putting his ears. You know, you can really block out a lot of sound that way. That's what this guy did. But he did it because his eyes were on eternal life. Maybe you should try that. When you hear the voice of Jesus, stick your fingers in your ears and run. But the man put his fingers in his ears and ran on crying, Life! Life! Eternal life! So he looked not behind him, but fled towards the middle of the plain. The neighbors also came out to see him run. And as he ran, some went, ha, 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 mocked. Others threatened, you stop running, stop it now, I tell you. I don't know what they were going to do with him, but they threatened him. Some cried after him to return. And among those that did so, there were two that resolved to go fetch him and bring him back. And you can continue reading the rest of the story. My point is, that experience happens when Jesus calls your heart and says, Come, follow me. Be my disciple. Now many of you may have known or heard of Watchman Nee. He's, he's a man that many years ago, I remember as a little boy, my dad as a preacher would quote, Quotes from Watchman Nee. And so I heard the name, but I never read the story. So some years ago, I began to get captivated by it. And I began to read his story. This is a very good one, by the way. Agnes Kinnear was one of his friends who wrote his life story. There are many books you can get. But I want to share something with you about his life experience that you may not know. Watchman Nee was about 50 years old and very successful in planting churches in China for many years. As a young 20-year-old something, he was a preacher, he was an evangelist, and out of that zeal and passion for Jesus Christ, many churches grew in China. Small little house churches, some grew into big churches. They were called his little flock. And Watchman also became successful financially. But there came a day when Watchman Nee 
by the way, the last 20 years of his life were spent in prison from the age 50 to 70 some, and he died in prison, quoting the words. He had a choice. The Chinese government gave him a choice and said, we will release you, Watchman Nee, if you go to America. You can't stay here in this country. You're a troublemaker. Go to America. Many Christians in America had raised a lot of funds and campaigned and lobbied the Chinese government to release him. Watchman Nee said, God has not called me to America. God has called me to preach the gospel to China. And he quoted Hebrews chapter 11. Others, so that I won't misquote it, I'll read it to you, this verse. This is important for you to know as before I read this. In Hebrews chapter 11, it tells us about those in faith. It says... Who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouth of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, women received back their dead by resurrection. Boy, that sounds... Don't you want to join that crowd? More than conquerors! Now listen to what else it says. Others, not accepting others, were tortured, not accepting their release, in order that they might obtain a better resurrection. That's what he quoted. And a year later he died, after a severe beating in prison. But before he was in prison, the Lord brought this upon him. See where I want to. It was in February of um, let's see, February 29th, where they denounced him. I want to just read this to you because it really gripped my heart. Even his old school friends and fellow workers brought charges against him that were not religious but political and moral, and he said. It's one thing to suffer as a Christian. It's quite another to suffer as a criminal for sins not committed. Shall we not ask God, the righteous judge, to intervene in the high court trial to clear his own name, deliver our brethren, and cause that his word in China not be bound? Shall we not pray for our enemies who are, who are the Lord's enemies held captive by Satan? But he was arrested in April 10, 1952. He and two others... His own brother, Watchman Nee's own brother, began a campaign with others against him and his personal finances. And they published letters against him. And this is what they said. One woman speaker, um, I'm just going to kind of interject here. One woman speaker at this meeting described Nee as an involuntary pro profligate and shameless adulterer. We women hearing this could not but hate him, she said. In another place, they said, 
Brothers and sisters of the Christian meeting place, we are very happy that this gang can never again disturb and harm our beloved church. And so without hindrance, we may now unite freely in mutual love. Fellow Christians, let us celebrate our common victory and consider it a cause for rejoicing. It is only by exposing and expelling such wolves as watchmen knee that we can purify the church so that it may glorify the Lord. Yeah. We hadn't heard about that, did we? Watchman Nee also suffered persecution from his own family, his own church. Kicked him out of the church and betrayed him with the Chinese government movement. You can read the story. There's a lot more. My point is this. Dear brother, sister, as Jesus said, you cannot be my disciple unless you're willing to take up your cross and follow me. Your testimony of His saving love and grace in your life can save your village and save yourself. But you must follow Him in dishonor or you cannot be His disciple. And thirdly, if you're looking for a sign and a wonder from Jesus, He will test that faith in you to see if that's what you need to believe or if you will trust Him and believe His Word without any physical sign or wonder, but simply because of who He is to you, your personal Savior.